Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Well, that uh, verse or that passage is actually the words of Jesus, and it's going to be kind of a guiding piece of how we wrap this whole series up today. Uh, But that whole idea of experiencing love and loving one another is also something that's really at the core of who we are as a church. So if you've been here week after week after week, uh, hopefully you've experienced that and you know that. If you're new here, uh, hopefully you know that as well, that at the heart of who we believe God is, is love. And what we're trying to do together as a group of people is become people who express that love through the way that we love and treat one another. And that is really what has been at the heart of this series uh, that we've been in over the past few weeks uh, called Start With Hello. And uh, if you've slept since then, I'll remind you this series is based on a book uh, that was written by an author named Shannon Martin who lives in Goshen, Indiana. So she's pretty close to here. Uh, She's really awesome. Her family uh, used to live on this really beautiful farm uh, right outside of Goshen, but they heroically decided that in order to really love their neighbors better and to interact with people who were different than they were, they picked up and they left that farm and moved into like downtown Goshen in a less than desirable neighborhood so that they could interact with people uh, who were different than them, which is, I think, an incredible thing. But um, if you remember, not only is this series based on this book, but we do have uh, copies of the book available for you. So we're wrapping up the series today, but if you'd like to take the conversation a little further, or just kind of some supplemental material, uh, you can purchase this book today. Uh, we're selling it for $13, which is cheaper than you'll get it anywhere else because it's just at cost for us. We just want to give you these resources if it's helpful. And uh, I don't know how many we have left now between services, but I know earlier today it was like still like 14. So if you can remember week one of this series, I said, hey, if we get books, will you buy them? And you're like, yeah, if that was you and you haven't bought one. I'd like to have zero by the end of the day, okay? Both so that we just don't have books laying around and so that you get the resources in your hands. So uh, if you're interested, those are $13 and you can get those at the green tent, but it could be a great resource just to keep the conversation going. Uh, At the heart of this series is not only this great book, but really a value that I feel like God has been kind of pressing on me uh, as something that I need to turn up the temperature on in my own personal life and my own faith. Uh, But also for our church, I want this Uh, concept that we've been talking through to really become a hallmark trait of what it means for us to be a church community together and what people think about when they think about Story Church. And it's these ideas of hospitality and neighboring. Uh, Like I would love for it to be true that people in this community who maybe have heard of that weird movie theater church and uh, they don't believe what we believe or they're skeptical of it. Uh, They certainly aren't going to wake up early on a Sunday right now. But I I would love for them to hear about us. And the thing that they get to know about us is that we are some of the most hospitable, loving, caring, will do anything for you kinds of people who are making this community a better place. I would love it if our reputation in this community was that people may be skeptical of what we believe, but envious of the way that we treat one another. And so that's kind of the goal behind this. Uh, These ideas of hospitality and neighboring, they're really pretty simple ideas, right? Uh, It's easy to understand that these are good things, but they are also so so extraordinarily powerful. And I think while these ideas are simple to understand, uh, they are really countercultural for us to actually live them out in a day in and day out basis. So I'll recap uh, where we've been really quick. Uh, On week one, we 
specifically focused on that idea of living as neighbors. And uh, what we did is we defined what it means uh, for like who is our neighbor. And uh, we talked about Jesus's definition, which is like way expansive. Jesus told this story that we know as the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, But in so doing, because Jewish people and Samaritans hated each other and basically viewed one another as terrorists, Jesus essentially elevated the status of neighbor to mean like even terrorists are your neighbor. And what we said about that is like, while that's inspiring and certainly impacted our world, Uh, For us today, when we treat everybody like our neighbor, we can end up treating nobody like our neighbor because it's like not specific enough or intentional enough. So for our purposes throughout this series and moving forward together, uh, we've defined a neighbor as anyone whose life intersects with my life. So that could be your literal neighbors nearby. Hopefully you interact with them. Uh, It could be people that you work with. It could be people at the coffee shop. It could be people at your kid's school or your kid's activities. Anybody whose life intersects with my life is my neighbor. We're trying to like bring it a little closer to home and make it a little more specific so that we can actually and tangibly love uh, the people around us. And so on week one, we really honed in on the idea of paying attention to the people and the places that surround us. We said often uh, the problem isn't that we're bad and we don't want to be good to people, but rather we're just busy. We're so busy just going from place to place to place uh, that we let the people just kind of gloss by us. If anything, they're obstacles to us getting to the next thing that we need to get to at times. But what we said is that we cannot love what we don't know, and we can't know what we don't see. And, and so if we're going to start with hello in terms of connecting with people around us, before we get to a hello, we have to even see each other. We have to even recognize and notice each other. And while I was thinking about this idea this week, uh, I actually thought of a series we did like way, way back at the beginning of our church, like round one, name number one, if you know our story. Uh, it, it was this series that we called Bless, or we talked about this idea. Uh, it was an acrostic called Bless, and each of the five letters stood for a habit that we could do. But the first was to begin with prayer. And one thing we talked about back in those days uh, was the idea of praying for a divine appointment each week or each day, asking God, hey, would you put somebody in my path that I can connect with or that you want me to, to love on or just have some kind of significant interaction with? And it was such a powerful thing. I was kind of like, man, maybe, maybe like that's enough for you today. You just needed to show up here today and me to remind you, like maybe that's your next step is to just get back in that habit of asking God, hey, will you put somebody in my path that you want me to connect with, that you want me to love on, that you want me to influence in some way. If you pray that prayer, I think it's a prayer that God loves to answer. But either way, we're talking about paying attention to the people and the places around us. On week two, uh, we talked about the other habit, the idea of hospitality. And what we said is that hospitality is not about charcuterie boards or perfect uh, cleaned up living rooms, but rather it's much more expansive. It's much bigger than that. And really in some ways, much more demanding than that. As we defined hospitality, we said hospitality is about making room for others in our lives. And certainly that's true for our friends and our family and our neighbors. But we really talked about the idea of welcoming strangers and not like stranger danger, but like welcoming people who are different than us, people with different backgrounds, different beliefs, maybe different values. And and what we said is like there was actually this challenge thrown out for us to audit our time and, and to pay attention to how much margin we really had. Because again, often we struggle to welcome people into our lives or to create space for people uh, because there is no space, right? It's hard to make space for others if your time is stretched to its limit already. So we talked about creating some margin. And then last week, uh, you may have caught, Lindsay said this is week four, but you're like, what? We didn't do church last week. Yes, we did, right? Hopefully, because you had some homework to do. Last uh, week was week three, which was like your lab week or your homework week, uh, where I issued the challenge that you would actually practice this idea of hospitality and, and somehow invite somebody into your life, whether that was just a simple interaction outside mowing your lawn or something, whether it was a barbecue that you had or watching the race together or whatever it may be. And so hopefully you did that. If you didn't and you're like, oh no, like I forgot, 
It's okay because the power of these habits is if they actually become habits in our life, which means they're not just supposed to be the thing that you do the one time because I gave you homework to do it, uh, but really you can do these things anytime. So if you're like, man, I missed it, do it this week. Okay, create some space to actually invite somebody in and practice hospitality in that way. But one dynamic that's true about uh, these two concepts of being neighbors and, and practicing hospitality is they're really kind of a give and take type of dynamic to all of them if you're doing them right. Uh, sometimes maybe being a neighbor, uh, it feels like, again, a homework assignment or something that you do because somebody like me has a microphone on and they're like, hey, you should really know and love your neighbors. And we're all like, oh man, I really should. So then maybe you bake some cookies and you go across the street and you're like, hello, neighbor. And then you have this one-time interaction and go back to your everyday life just like normal, right? That's not what we're talking about here. I instead, what we're saying is there's a difference between like just being a neighbor because somebody told you that you ought to do it, so you do it one time versus living as neighbors, where we actually have this give and take relationship with the people that we interact with. And so what I think for some of us throughout this series is we need to learn like the front side habit of it, of being a neighbor and going out and actually interacting with the people around us intentionally. Others of us, I think might need to learn the gift of receiving our neighbors, of receiving the people who are around us who may have something to offer to us. And sometimes that's just as difficult is receiving versus giving. But as we wrap things up today, what I want to do is talk about, again, a few ideas that, once again, are easy to agree with, easy to want to practice, but really extraordinarily difficult to actually do. And I, I think that's the challenge of a series like this. Uh, to be honest with you, over the holiday, I almost like canceled week four of this series because I was kind of like, did I, did I say it all already? Like, it, it's kind of simple, right? It's easy to grab onto. And I was tempted to fall into the trap that I think many of us fall into as it relates to hospitality and living as neighbors, which is to think that just because we agree with something means that it's true in our lives. Just because we think something's a good idea means that it's happening. And unfortunately, one of the greatest challenges of true hospitality is not just valuing it, but actually practicing it. It's one of those things that is so easy to talk about, but so difficult to actually make room for intentionally in our lives. And uh, I'll poke the bear a little bit today because this happens all the time in church world where people show up, and, and maybe it's the reason you're here today. We show up because we're like, man, I want a community. Right? I want people who really know me and get me and people that I can belong to. But then when it comes time to do something to actually like, create and cultivate that community, we are so resistant to do it. Because we're like, wait, wait, I have to show up to another thing? Or like, I, I gotta let people into my house? Or I've gotta go to their house? I don't know them. Like, what kind of animal do they, is it a dog? Is it a cat? Is there a potluck? Like, it, it can become such this barrier for us. So many of us claim to want community, but we do nothing to actually cultivate it. And it's true in so many areas of our lives, right? Valuing things is one thing. And then the actions that support those values are the thing that actually make the difference. Like if you want to save money this year, that's a good goal, right? That's a good thing to value. Maybe you even put together a really amazing budget. But here's the thing. If you don't actually change any of your spending habits and you don't actually follow that very amazing budget, nothing's going to change. You're not actually going to save any money because it's the doing that makes the difference. If you like really want to get fit this year, and so you're like, man, I, I want to get fit. And you're like, you subscribe to Men's Health Magazine. And you're, like, you're getting into it. I'm not speaking from experience, okay? But, but if you continue to just like go to the couch and eat the same things that you eat, guess what? You'll get the same results that you've been getting, living proof, okay? If you're like, man, I want to have a, an amazing year at work, but you continue all the same work habits that you have and you work with the same people in the same way, with the same attitude, the same amount of hours, you'll get the same results. The same thing's true as it relates to hospitality, that it's one thing to agree with it, it's one thing to value it, but we have to actually do it if we want it to be true and we want it to be real in our lives. And for many of us, I think we're tempted to agree with the idea of loving our neighbors without actually practicing it, 
We, we agree with it, but practically, it is so much easier to hang out with people who already agree with us than to welcome in somebody who's different than us, right? It, it, for many of us, it is so much better, at least it feels better, to live in the comfort of our own home with our own cultivated environments than to step out into the calling of our neighborhood or the calling of unfamiliar environments or different places. And, and this is so, so dangerous if we don't pay attention to it. Because as uh, we mentioned earlier, as we heard in that video, Jesus actually views things like neighboring and hospitality at the very core of what it means to follow him, at the very core of what it means to love like he loved. And in fact, Jesus uh, kind of summed up his one command for all of us. He took the commands of the Old Testament, all 600-something odd commands, and he said, I can sum them all up into this one command. And here's how he explained it to his followers. He, he just did this sacrificial act uh, of washing his followers' feet, and they were all freaked out by it because Jesus was important and he wasn't supposed to do that. Uh, and then he started explaining it to them, and here's what he said. He says, a new command I give you, love one another, which they would be like, that's not new, but Jesus brought in the new part after that. He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples or my followers. What do you think Jesus filled in the blank with after that? Like, if you've been around and you're paying attention, it's pretty simple. But what do you think we practically act like Jesus filled in the blank with? By this, everyone will know that you're my followers. Some of us, we act like by our moral superiority, right? If we live like really squeaky clean, upright, good-looking lives, then people will look at us and they'll be like, that must be Jesus who caused that. Like, some of us believe that. Some of us, we think it's our well-argued theology, that if we can just show everybody how wrong they are and how smart we are and how much we know, then clearly they'll understand, and then by this, they'll see Jesus and they'll know. I'll, I'll take it a little further, okay? Some of us are like, if we get the right person in the White House and we get the right people in Congress and we get the right laws passed, then everybody will know and we'll all become Christians. But that's not what Jesus says at all. Instead, what Jesus says just like everything else we've talked about. It is so much more simple and yet so much more demanding. He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, if you actually live out the result of the kind of love that I've shown to you, if you love one another the way that I have loved you. So loving one another is a huge deal in the life of a Jesus follower. And this might feel a little ouchy today, but I'm gonna go there. Like, if you're here today, and you claim to follow Jesus. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in for Jesus. But if you're not concerned with how well you're loving other people, I hate to give you the bad news today, but you're not actually following Jesus. Okay, you might like Jesus, you might appreciate Jesus, you might be grateful for what Jesus has done for you, but if you're not concerned with the needs and the way that we're loving other people around us, you're not actually doing the work of following Jesus because Jesus Again, made this exceptionally clear. And, and what I want to do is I'm going to read to you that verse that we heard uh, in the video at the beginning of our time together here uh, and just kind of like tease out how Jesus talks about what his love in action should look like in our lives. So this verse or this passage that Jesus shared, uh, it started out after he just gave this great speech about abiding in him or living our lives connected to Jesus, which is such a like vital habit if you want to have a living and growing faith, to stay connected with Jesus. And he goes on and says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, Jesus basically is explaining the same dynamic we were talking about as it relates to our money and our fitness and our work ethic. He says, hey, if you want to see my love like in action in your life, you have to do the things I've told you. 
right? Like, like you can abide in my love, you can receive my love, and, and then if you remain in my love, you'll keep my Father's commands just as I have. And he says the result of this is that you will have his joy living within you and that that joy might be complete. He basically says the way to experience the fullness of life that God wants for you is to love God, to receive that love from God, and then in response, express and extend that love to everyone around you. And he spells it out more specifically as he goes on. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give to you. This is my command, love each other. Again, there's a lot packed in there. On the surface, it sounds kind of simple. Like Jesus says, hey, love each other, right? It's like, okay, Jesus, good idea. I went to kindergarten too. Like, right? It seems like very 101 level, but he spells it out and he says, greater love has nobody than this but to lay down their life for their friends. And it's remarkable. Jesus uttered these words and then later demonstrated what he meant by it by actually sacrificing himself on our behalf and on the behalf of his followers so that they might live in relationship with God. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command, which feels kind of tricky to us. Like, I, I don't know if you're like me. I grew up in church, and anytime I heard about commands, it didn't feel friendly. <laughs> it didn't feel like, oh boy, we're going to go follow some commands. Like, it didn't feel fun. It felt a lot more like servant, like Jesus is saying. But he says, no, 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 you're not my servants because I'm not just like God way distant and removed from the mountain telling you what you should do or else, but rather I'm here with you. Right? I'm walking with you. And the goal for our lives. The goal for you as it relates to neighboring and hospitality is that you would actually partner with God to do the work of God in the context where he's placed you. That you would be like friends with God on this mission together to help people experience the joy and the love that Jesus has. And he says if you do this, that you'll actually bear fruit. That Jesus like chose you and appointed you for the relationships that you have and the places that you go so that you may bear fruit. So that there would be evidence of his love at work in and through your life. And, and I think this vision of what Jesus's love looks like kind of begs the question, how are we doing? Like, how are we doing really as it relates to living out this love? Is love this like flowery, lofty ideal that we all just agree with and think sounds like a good plan? Or is love actually being expressed in your practical behavior? Is love actually being expressed in the way that you interact with the people that you interact with? As Jesus said, he says, I chose you so that you might bear fruit. So maybe the like gut check question for us is what kind of fruit is your life bearing in the life of the people that you interact with? In other words, what's the result of you interacting with somebody? What's the wake that you're leaving in the lives of other people? I think, again, for all of us, this idea of practicing love and loving like Jesus, it sounds like a good idea. And if you want to take following Jesus seriously, you're probably like me and you're like, yeah, I want to do that how do I do it, right? What does it really, really look like? And, and as we wrap up this series today, I want to just leave you uh, with a couple of ideas that hopefully make it practical and make it actionable and, and really hopefully kind of challenge where I feel like many of us are getting sucked into the cultural pull of how things are. Uh, hopefully this is a challenge for us to be different in the way that Jesus called us to be different. Because I think for us today, if we want to make love practical, if we want to actually like do uh, what Jesus called us to do in loving other people the way that he loved us, I think it starts with us learning how to practice empathy towards one another. 
And empathy is one of those words that gets thrown out a lot. And, and I think much like love and kindness and hospitality, most of us are like, I think empathy is a good thing, right? I wanna, I wanna have empathy. I think empathy is something I do or I want to do. But we also kind of treat it like nailing jello to the wall. It's like kind of hard to define and, and hard to like, contain. Like, what does it really mean to be empathetic? And often empathy gets lumped in with its rhyming word sympathy. And we don't always think about the difference, but it's a really, really crucial difference. And here's how I've heard it described. It's that empathy is the thing that shows us that we're in it together, whereas sympathy typically stays at a safe distance. If you think about these words, a lot of times they show up when somebody's going through something difficult or there's been some kind of loss. And I would say that like sympathy sends flowers, right? We even call them sympathy flowers. Like sympathy sends flowers. Empathy sits through the visitation. Right? Like sympathy says, hey, I care from a distance, but empathy says I'm with you. Empathy shows up towards other people. Uh, Brene Brown, who's a psychologist and a great thinker, says that empathy actually fuels connection, whereas sympathy can drive disconnection. Because again, it feels distant. It feels like I care, but I only care this much. I care at an arm's length. Empathy says I'm feeling with you. Sympathy says I'm feeling for you. You see that difference? It's so subtle, but it is so extraordinarily powerful. And here's what I believe. It's that if we want to actually affect the people around us and the community that we live in, if we want to actually have influence in the lives of other people, which if, again, if you're a follower of Jesus, that kind of comes with the territory, to be the light of the world, to, to show his love to other people. If we want to actually do that, we've got to get closer to one another. We have to actually get in proximity to one another so that we can practice empathy. And one reason that's a big deal is because here's what's true about me and I would be willing to bet is true about you. It's that when I'm convinced that you know how I feel, I am so much more open to your influence in my life. That if I, I really genuinely believe that you understand me, that, that you've heard my story, that you get where I'm coming from, I am so much more open to whatever your perspective or your influence is on my life rather than if you just start with whatever your opinion is. I mean, this is like the classic male-female relationship fight debate, right? Because stereotypically, men are often like problem solver types, and they'll be like, well, here's what you need to do. And isn't it true that often, on the other side of that, women are like, no, 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 I don't need you to fix it. I need you to understand. Like, that's at least the stereotype that gets thrown out. But here's what I think is true. All of us want to be understood. And if I'm honest, and I look at like the relational conflict that, that does or has existed in my life, typically it comes from somebody not first taking the time to understand my perspective or, or validate that I have a certain perspective, whether it's right or wrong, right? For me, it goes so far if people are willing to say like, look, I get it. I get why you see things the way that you do. And in fact, that might be one of the best definitions of empathy we can have. Empathy says, if I had experienced what you've experienced, I might see things the way that you see things. Right? If I've been where you've been, I might have the conclusions that you have. It's this willingness to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. And I think if there is a word that can capture and can define what it could look like for all of us to actually practice empathy in the lives of the people around us, it's this word. And it's the word pastor. And some of you are like, whew, good. It's your job. Right? You're like, whew, good. But it, that's not where I'm going, okay? Because this word pastor, it, it's an interesting word. I mean, obviously we know it in this context, right? But, but in terms of scripture, the way that pastor showed up in the Bible, it, it was kind of a weird thing that happened as we translated the Bible from its original language uh, to different languages to spread all throughout the world. But pastor showed up in our language and in our faith language uh, as a Latin word for the word shepherd. To, to pastor means to shepherd 
one another. And it was subbed in. I mean, I almost went through all the verses where Jesus talks about shepherds or tells a story using shepherds as an example or the shepherds show up at his birthday party, right? Like all the, I almost went there, but there's like so many of them. It's all we would have time to do. But basically anywhere that you see the word shepherd in scripture, you could sub in the word pastor because it's just a Latin word that means shepherd. And so here's what I'm getting at with that. It's that to pastor somebody, it's a functional role, not some religious office, right? It's become that, and there's guys like me who go to school and they get degrees and then they work for churches and they become professional Christians, and that's fine, like there's a place for that. But the idea of pastoring actually belongs to all of us as Jesus followers. We are all called to shepherd or to pastor or to care for one another. And in the context of our conversation about hospitality and neighboring and the people that you interact with day in and day out, I'm going to throw out a probably lofty, challenging vision to you. What if you became the pastor or the shepherd to your neighborhood? Whatever that looks like, whether it's your literal neighborhood or your workplace or the place you hang out at, the coffee shop, whatever it may be. What if you pastored? What if you shepherded? What if you cared for your neighborhood? And maybe you're like, no, 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 Eric, like, again, that's your job. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, I don't have access to the same relationships and the same networks that you do. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that you are placed where you are for a reason. I, I don't know why you moved into the neighborhood that you moved into. It probably had something to do with how much land you could get for how much money, right, <laughs> or how well you liked the features of your house. But I believe God uses that stuff. I believe that where you are is not an accident. And what if you became intentional about being the one who cares for who knows the stories of the people who are around you. If you're like, man, I'm just not wired for that and I'm not good at it, I probably shouldn't confess this to you, but you've actually got a friend in me there because like the shepherding side of what I do for a living it is the thing that I have to work at more. It, it's the thing that I'm trying to grow in and constantly still growing in because it doesn't come supernaturally to me. It's really easy for me to strap on a microphone and tell everybody what I think or what <laughs> like is in scripture or whatever. It, it, it's more challenging for me to show up and have patience with people and sit with them and, and, and care for them over the long haul. I certainly try and do it. But if you feel like it's difficult, you're not alone. If you're sitting here and you're like, no, no, Eric, you don't know my neighbors, okay? They don't need empathy. They need to get a clue, right? Like, like they, don't, they don't need me to come alongside them. They need to like change their perspective. They need to get some understanding themselves. But I get that, okay? And there are certainly people like that probably in all of our neighborhoods or all of the environments that we ever go, but here's what's true. Empathy may not be the thing that people most need, but it is often what they first need. Isn't that true for you and isn't that true for me? I, in the times that maybe you've gotten something wrong or that you've been a little squirrely, like if somebody just comes at you with their opinion, don't you just kind of like wall off and be like, get out of here, what do you know, who are you? But if they first meet you with empathy, if you feel understood, if you, they hear your story and then they gently over time redirect you in a more positive way, that's what actually leads to lasting change. So empathy may not be the thing that people most need, but I think in terms of starting with hello and forming these relationships, empathy is often what we first need. A and we've gotten this so wrong so often, even in the church, where we've taken a posture where our judgments get lobbed from a distance on different things, different issues, right? We, we make our stand and we feel really big and bold and courageous, but what we're doing is we're ignoring the people behind every issue that we're actually called to connect with and know. And, and minds are not being changed by us turning up the volume on our opinions. But lives might actually be changed if we were willing to have the courage to get to know one another and, and to actually meet people where they're at. Maybe when I say like pastor your neighborhood, you're like, you know how big my neighborhood is? I, I can't possibly do that. I didn't sign up for that. I get that too. But it, in light of that, 
here's what I would say. Uh, there's a principle that we've talked about in previous series that I think applies here, and it's this idea that we can do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. I mean, it would be amazing if, if in the place where you live, work, and play, every single person felt like they were known and understood and cared for by someone, but maybe you're like, I can't be that person to everyone. I get that, but you could be for someone. Right? So, so if you're like, man, it's too big for me to like, do this for everybody, pick somebody, right? pick a neighbor, pick a spot, go to the coffee shop and just be like, I'm gonna show up week in and week out and I'm gonna get to know people. Pick that coworker that you know like there's more to them than you've taken the time to get to know and, and maybe become intentional about showing empathy to them. This is a huge deal because it's wrapped up in the very language Jesus used to describe himself. Again, in John's account of Jesus' life, Jesus said this, he said, I am the good shepherd or the good pastor. Right? He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he makes this contrast to a different approach to interacting with one another. He says the hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Friends, if we're supposed to love like Jesus loves, I wonder for how many of us we look a little more hired hand than we look shepherd. Right, like the hired hand shows up and they're like, hey, if I get a paycheck, right, I'm, I'll do the work. If there's something in it for me, I'll show up. But when it gets difficult, right, the wolf attacks, something goes wrong or, or something doesn't go according to plan, the hired hand gets out of there. And I wonder for how many of us, our faith looks like that too, as it relates to the people that we're called to care for. That we're like, yeah, I'll show up when things are good, right? It's always fun to say hi to my neighbor when it's sunny and I'm mowing. But when there's something difficult, whether it's an opinion that you struggle with, a perspective that you don't like or just a difficult circumstance that feels awkward and too big, how many of us shrink away when instead we're called to be like the good shepherd? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Later, Paul talks about this dynamic in a different way, this temptation we can all fall into to agree with love but not necessarily practice it, to think love and hospitality are a good idea but to not actually practically do it. And in light of that, right before Paul uh, wrote the verses that are quoted at like everybody's wedding, uh, you know, love is patient, love is kind, all that, right before he went there, he talked about this dynamic where we like agree with love, but we don't actually do it. And he said it in this way. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all of the mysteries and all of the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and I give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Now, all those things Paul talks about, they're good things, right? Like speaking in the tongues of angels, that sounds really lofty and exciting. And if you can do that, let me know because it sounds fascinating. But he's like, if I do that, but I don't do that motivated by love, it doesn't matter, right? Like, if I can explain all of the mysteries and all knowledge, again, let me know because I can't. Okay, but like that sounds like a good thing. That sounds powerful. But if I don't do it motivated by love, it doesn't matter. Jesus told us that we can have this kind of faith that has the potential to move mountains. But Paul says, even if you have that kind of faith, but it's not motivated by love, it doesn't matter. Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So again, how do we actually do that? How do we put action behind this value? How do we actually make this more than just a three-week series or four-week series where we nod and agree and think, man, I should do better, and then don't actually do it? Here's one place that I would encourage us to start, and it sounds a little obvious. It actually sounds kind of not optional, but I think 
we don't always live it out. I think for many of us, in terms of practicing empathy, connecting with people who are different than us, we could start just by remembering to be human. Remember to be human to one another, to be good to one another, to, to see the dignity in one another. And uh, Paul actually gave us an extraordinary example of this. And, and it's kind of hidden within the letter he wrote to the church in Rome. Uh, it's hidden within some verses that I think if we're honest, they're kind of those throwaway verses in scripture where it's like a lot of hard names to pronounce and it seems just kind of like first century details where it's like Paul says hi to these people. Uh, so there's that in the midst of Romans, but there's this small detail that shows Paul showing dignity and humanity to somebody that in his time, in his culture, would not have been shown dignity and humanity. It's recorded in Romans 16. So Paul, when writing the letter to Romans, he actually didn't write it. Uh, He dictated it, and he had a scribe with him who was writing down his words. And so Paul starts this out, and he says, Timothy, my coworker, sends his greetings to you, the people in Rome, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. And then there's this shift in voice where now the scribe, the guy who is writing down the words, actually starts writing the letter himself. And he says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who's the city's director of public works, and our brother, Quartus, send you their greetings. And then the letter goes on. Now to him who's able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for ages long past and on and on it goes. But in this little snapshot, right, again, this thing that probably most of us kind of gloss over and like those are weird names and they're hard to pronounce, Paul was doing something extraordinary because in the Roman world, to be a scribe was not like a lofty profession. It, it was kind of looked down on. People who were scribes did not have a voice to share their thoughts. Their job was to share the thoughts of the important people who were dictating things. So this scribe was not supposed to be able to give voice, but Paul gives this man the opportunity. In fact, this man's name reveals something about him too, because in the Roman world, what often happened is as families grew, uh, the firstborn son particularly was viewed as somebody who could bring honor and prestige to the family, but the second and third and fourth son were just more mouths to feed often, and so the way that the Romans viewed them, often what would happen in these families is their name would simply become their pecking order, their their place in the pecking order, And, and that's what happens. Do you notice the scribe's name? He says, I, Tertius, which means he's likely the third son in his family. That's why he has this lowly position. He's overlooked. He's the third son. And he goes on and he writes, he talks about his brother, Quartus, right, the fourth son. So these people who the Roman world viewed as insignificant. See, where Rome only cared about power, Paul saw personhood. Right? Paul gave dignity. Paul gave opportunity. And we don't know much about the relationship between these two men, but we know in this letter, for a moment, Paul said, Tertius, why don't you tell him? Right? <laughs> Do you have anyone to talk to you? Do you have somebody you want to say hi to or anything you have to say? And it's now documented and bound and recorded in what we know as Holy Scripture. Right? This person that the world would have said, overlook and ignore, Paul says, no, there's a person with dignity and a contribution to make. And guys, our world runs according to similar power structures as Rome, unfortunately, right? This is still in the water of the way that our world goes. But what if we were the people who instead chose to put dignity first? One really practical way I think we could do this, and again, this maybe sounds a little like I'm talking to my four-year-old, but some of us, I think, need that right now, uh, is we could start using humanizing language in the way that we talk about everyone, right? Not just the people you agree with, not just the people you like, but what if we just made it a priority that we're never gonna say anything that demeans or dehumanizes someone, even if we disagree with them, even if we think they're completely wrong, 
this seems like 101 level, but we're struggling with it these days, right? We should honor the full dignity of everyone that we meet. And for most of us, I think if we're honest, we're pretty good about it face-to-face because we're in the Midwest and we all like to be nice to each other and all that kind of stuff. But some of us get so brave behind keyboards, right? We pull out our phones and we share some of the most hateful stuff or, or we type it or we like it. Or, and, and it may seem like it doesn't matter, but it does to a watching world, right? It, it does say something about who we are or maybe more dangerously about who we believe Jesus to be. And, and so we have to stop hiding behind our online opinions and instead start forging real relationships. And, and this is free. I didn't even put it in my notes, but I shared it with the nine o'clock. And I, I, I think it's helpful for me, at least, a habit that I've created in terms of like sharing my opinion online. I don't do it very often about very many issues. And one reason is because I tried to put this gut check in place for me where I don't share about my opinion about any issue if I don't have any real life experience with somebody who is going through that issue. Okay, so like gun violence, right? That's a hot topic right now. I have some opinions. I'll probably never tell them to you, okay? But, but I don't share about that unless I know somebody who is a gun owner or unless I know somebody who's been a victim of gun violence because that gives me perspective. It gives me empathy. Human sexuality, right? It's June. It's a big conversation right now. I'm not going to tell you what I think about Target if I don't know somebody who has a lifestyle different than mine, right? If I haven't heard about their experience. It's just this rule of thumb. It's not like you have to do this. It's not scripture necessarily, but it is this gut check I have that helps keep humanity first, right? It keeps the people in front of the positions that we're often so tempted to hide behind and and keep ourselves distant from one another through. Here's my point. When we do these things, we actually build connection with one another. We actually create the opportunity for us to have influence on one another. And uh, the point is that empathy changes things. I experienced this uh, just about a week ago with my daughter. It was her last day of school and it was a morning, okay? Like, if you can remember four-year-old morning days, like, she was a four-nager that morning, and we were trying to get her up, and uh, it just was not going well. She didn't want to move. She didn't want to get out of bed. She didn't like the clothes we had picked. Like, everything was a battle that morning, and I probably wasn't being the greatest dad ever at getting her up, and, like, that my blood pressure was rising, and voice was getting more stern, and, and she was, like, stomping and at me, which I'm like, she probably learned that from me, right? <laughs> but, but, like, it was just escalating and escalating, and finally I took her downstairs to mom, and they were brushing teeth, and I was in the other room, just like, man, what got into her today, right? What? In fact, as the conflict was escalating, right, I was getting into like, hey, no, I'm your dad, and you listen and obey, and we're not like this, and, da, 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 and fighting, fighting, fighting. And, and then she went in to put on her shoes, and Ashley gave her a pair of shoes that we found out uh, were a little too small for her, and the tears just started flowing. And we're like, okay, what's going on now? And so uh, Ashley gave her a hug, and then I came over and gave her a hug, and I'm like, hey, what, what's going on? And she says in her like little four-year-old innocence, she goes, sometimes it's hard to say goodbye <laughs> in reference to the shoes right? <laughs> that are not going to fit. But then I realized in that moment, I'm like, oh, it's her last day of school, right? And we've been telling her, this is her first year of preschool. We've been telling her, hey, you're probably not going to see all these friends, or at least your class isn't all going to be together again next year in the same way. And she was realizing that in that moment. And in her little four-year-old toolkit, right, all she's got is stomp and pout (laughs) to express those big feelings. But when she said that to me, I was like, you know what, it is sometimes hard to say goodbye. And because we got to the point of empathy, I was able to have connection with her. I was able to understand and be like, oh my gosh, you're right, and lead her through that. Here's my point. The way we treat one another so often is just like me and Eden that morning. 
where so many of us have our positions and we're like dug in and we're just raising the volume and we're just yelling at each other more and more and we're fighting and we're fighting and we're fighting and we never take the time to get to that connection point where we go, oh, that's why you see things the way that you see things. Oh, that's why you do the things that you do. And, and that moment drops the walls and it gives us the opportunity to actually love and get to know one another. So here's a question. Do the people around you know that you care? Okay, I'm not going to ask, do you care about the people around you? That's, again, kind of 101 level. You should care if you didn't know. But do they know it? Do they know it in the way that you treat them? Do, they, like, do the people that think differently than you know that you care about them ultimately because they have dignity and they have the image of God in them? Another way to ask this is, like, is your humanity showing <laughs> in your interactions with other people? I want to wrap up uh, by sharing with you a story uh, that I heard. It's actually recorded in a book. It's a story about President Obama. So if you're a Democrat, you'll like this one. Uh, if you're a Republican, you should still be able to get something out of this because we should be able to learn uh, from everybody. But uh, it was recorded in a book called The President's Devotional, which was written by Joshua Du Bois. He was the spiritual director in the Obama administration. And uh, he talked about how President Obama responded in the wake of uh, a tragic shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. If you remember, um, I was going to actually share with you the passage from the book, and I thought, I can't, I'm not going to get through it, because uh, it's just such a tragic situation and so heartbreaking. I'll do my best here just recapping it for you. But it, it was this awful shooting. 26 people were killed. 20 of them were kids uh, between the ages of 6 and 7 years old. And in response to this horrible tragedy, uh, President Obama chose to actually go uh, to the school in the weeks that followed. And he met with each of the families. And in the book, Joshua just really briefly gives a snapshot of what those days were like. And he said that um, the president walked into the first classroom and, and sat down and kind of like settled his resolve because he knew what he was going to do that day. And, and then family after family came into the room and that he got up and he just like bear hugged <laughs> these moms and dads and brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas who were grieving, like he just, he brought them in and embraced them. And he asked questions about the kids. What did they like, right? What, what were their favorite things? What were their personality like? To their brothers and sisters, three and four-year-olds, he would toss them up in the air and play games with them. Excuse me. And give them uh, a pack of White House M&Ms. <laughs> And they said that he did better than me because he would sit there and his eyes would tear up, but he never broke. And he just loved on those families. And then they would leave and then the next group would come in and he would do it again and again and again. And, and Joshua says that hundreds of family members grieving, trying to navigate a senseless tragedy came in and they met their president who just loved on them in that moment. He didn't have to do that, right? He could have done a speech, which he did, he could have sent a card, which I'm sure he did, right? But he showed up in person because that's what love does. That's what empathy really looks like. And in fact, uh, Pastor Andy Stanley has shared about the story before, and he says in that moment, President Obama chose to be the pastor-in-chief. Right? He chose to come alongside people and to love on them in the midst of something none of us had answers for. And here's my point in bringing that up today. Hopefully, you will never have that kind of responsibility laid on your table, right? Hopefully you'll never have a moment like that where you have to carry that kind of weight. But at the same time, the places where you live and where you work and where you play, you never know the weight that people around you are carrying, 
Right? You never know the circumstances that they're going through. You never know the loneliness that they may feel, the confusion that they may navigate, what's in their story, what's in their, like, you never know unless you're willing to go there, unless you're willing to make love and hospitality and neighboring more than just an idea that you agree with and actually make it a practice in your life where instead of keeping people at an arm's distance because of your positions and because of your opinions, you actually get to know them. You get to know their stories and you draw near to them. And in so doing, you might just show the love of Jesus in action. To wrap up together, uh, we're going to receive communion. And uh, if you didn't get a cup on your way in, just throw up your hand and uh, Sarah can run one over to you. Yeah, there's a couple up there. Um, it's not always typical for us to talk about communion in these terms, but as I was thinking about the idea of empathy, uh, man, what better display of empathy than Jesus choosing to become one of us? Right, what we know is the incarnation, this moment where God put on a body in the person of this little baby who grew to be the man Jesus. Jesus came alongside us. He says, I know what it's like to be a human. I know what it's like to live among you. I know what it's like to struggle with you. I know what it's like to navigate all of the things that come with being a human in this world. And yet, he was the one who uttered those words that he was the good shepherd who was willing to even lay down his life for his friends. That's how far he went in empathizing with us. But not only that, but the other side of what we remember in communion is not only Jesus' sacrifice, but it's also his presence with us, his instruction for us to continue to live life in relationship with him, loving God and loving other people. So what I'd love to do, uh, we'll take the elements all together. If you'd peel back the top and take the bread. This bread represents Jesus' body broken for you. Jesus who identifies with our weaknesses. Right? Jesus, who knows what it's like to live life as a human and chose to become one of us so that we might be able to have a way to get back to God. So in this moment, take and eat this in remembrance of him. And in the same way, if you take of the cup, Jesus referred to this cup as something to remind us of what's known as the new covenant the new kind of relationship that we can have with God that's not just marked with us trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing, but actually having Jesus' life living through us, where we live in connection with God and let the love of God flow in us and then out of us to other people. And so in light of that, take and drink this in remembrance of him. One final thing I want to do before I pray and we wrap up uh, we don't typically do this around here, but in a lot of churches, kind of at the end of a service, you'll offer something known as a benediction. It's like a, a reading or a, or a type of a prayer over the people that as you leave, uh, these words that we're going to speak may be true of you. Uh, Shannon Martin, at the end of Start With Hello, actually has a, a benediction or a blessing for neighboring. And uh, just as a second, I want to read this over you with the hope that this may become true of you as we leave this place together and as we wrap up this conversation. She says, may you go out into this bewildering world warmer by the fire of possibility. May you come to see walking shoes, soup spoons, minivans, and wrinkled hands as worthy tools for connection. May your heart stay tender, your hands stay open, and your door stay easy on its hinges. May you find comfort in the moon, art in the clouds, and goodness in the faces around you. May you gather, listen, and hope relentlessly. And may you never give up on the living light of belonging right where you are. Grace and peace and gumption be with you.
Let me pray for you. God, I pray for us uh, that we would live in light of the love that you have for us, that we wouldn't just agree with it, that we wouldn't just look at you for the benefits of following you, but that we would understand that we're also called to extend your love to everyone always. God, may Story Church become a community of people who are known for their radical love and hospitality to everyone. May we be the people who cross the divides that are keeping so many of us apart. May we be the people who are willing to go there knowing that our Savior went to great lengths to be in relationship with us. God, help us to not just keep your love to ourselves, but help us to know how to put your love into action in a practical way this week, whether that's praying and asking for opportunities and divine appointments, whether that's the person we know we should reach out to and just haven't had the courage to do so, or something different entirely. God, give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard and the courage to actually do it. And God, may we be a group of people, again, who are marked by this radical, outward, welcoming in posture, constantly inviting people to be a part of your story, knowing that when we meet them where they're at, it opens up the door for them to experience your love. So God, do that in us and do that through us until we join together again next week. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.